Well, this morning we are in the seventh week of this sermon series that I've entitled Stranger. It's going through the New Testament letter, First Peter, and the uh, letter was written by the Apostle Peter, one of the leaders of the early church, to a number of Christians in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, uh, Christians who are scattered throughout many regions. And uh, the letter or the, the sermon series I've entitled Stranger because that's one of the main themes of this letter is what does it look like to live in this world as resident aliens, as strangers, as foreigners, knowing that our primary citizenship is in heaven with God, that that's where our identity, our values come from before they come from this earth. And so what does it look like to live here, to serve God, to live among people uh, in that way? And so this morning we're going to be up to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 19 of 1 Peter 4. So let me read this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or of any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator, and continue to do good. This is God's word. Let's pray before we continue. Lord, help us to understand what this passage means. Help us apply this to our lives. Please, God, we pray that you would illuminate our hearts by, and our minds by your Holy Spirit so that we might know you better, become more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me go back to the first two verses of that passage, because I think that really sums up the message of what he's trying to communicate here. He says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered 
in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So Peter, reflecting on Jesus and his death for our sins, encourages his listeners to adopt the same kind of attitude. He says, arm yourselves. It's a military phrase there. You know, prepare yourself for battle with that same attitude that Jesus had. Adopt the same mindset that Jesus had with regards to suffering. He says, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. It's a bold claim that I'll explain in a minute. And he says, as a result, the one who adopts that mindset that Jesus had with regards to suffering in this world, they're done with sin because they're no longer living for evil human desires, he says. Instead, their concern is God's will. So what is this mindset? He says, adopt the same mindset, basically, that Jesus had, the same attitude that Jesus had with regards to suffering. I think the best passage to sum up Jesus' mindset is Hebrews chapter 12, one through four, which says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let me just pause there. That's because Hebrews 11 was the hall of faith. It was the listing of all these great saints of the Old Testament and their faith and what God did through their faith. And so he follows it up by saying, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So, okay, again, again, it's, uh, what is Jesus' mindset towards suffering that we're supposed to adopt? And as I look at this passage, I see it that Jesus, his primary concern was not about suffering, right? His primary concern was not, if I make this decision, am I going to suffer or not? If I make this decision, are people going to reject me or think bad of me? That's not his primary mindset. It says his primary mindset, it says, was I am going to follow God and trust him in his will. And it says for the joy set before him, he was willing to endure the cross, scorning its shame, He was willing to endure opposition from sinful men. No matter what suffering came his way, all the way to death on the cross, he's like, that's not my primary concern. My primary concern is to do what the Father has told me to do. My primary concern is to submit myself to his will for the joy set before him. And I've said this many times. Hopefully, if you've been around long enough, you know what I'm going to say here. What was the joy that was set before him? What was... The one thing that he was going through this for, you know, it wasn't to be with the father. I mean, he'd been with the father for all eternity. The one thing that he did not have was you. It was us. The joy set before him that allowed him, it strengthened him, empowered him to endure the cross and all of its suffering was you. To have you restored to the father. To have you with him again. That was his mindset and his attitude. First and foremost, I'm going to submit myself to the Father. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to be faithful to him. And secondly, I'm going to do this for them, for you, to bring you to God, to save you, to rescue you. That was his mindset when it came to suffering. 
The mindset was not, okay, am I going to suffer or not? If yes, then I don't want to do this. Are people going to think less of me? Are they going to oppose me? Are they going to reject me? Then if yes, then I'm not going to do this. His mindset was, my eyes are on God, the Father. I'm following him. I'm doing this for those who don't know and are, are lost and need to be restored. And I love verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It says no matter what your, you know, discipleship is like, it's never been to the point that Jesus was, that he was willing to resist sin, self-centeredness, rebellion, all the way to the cross, to death, to pouring out his blood, so that you could know him. It makes me think of this passage as I think about how that then applies to us. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For Christ's love compels us. His love for you, his death for you compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Amen. Just read that one more time. What is the motivator? What compels us, he says? It's the love of Christ who died for you. And he died for you that you might no longer live for yourself, but for him who died for you and was raised again. So back to 1 Peter 4 then. Again, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in the body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. He starts by telling them, listen, this is what I want your mindset, your attitude to be. It should be the same as that of Jesus when it comes to suffering and the, the struggles of this world. First and foremost, keep your eyes on God. Just live to be faithful to him, to trust in him. And do this not just for him, but also for all of those out there who don't know him. Just like Jesus did, and he gave his life, and he was willing to suffer so that they might be saved, so that they might be rescued. Be willing to go through whatever it is he calls you to go through to save others, to rescue others, to bring them to faith in Jesus. That's our goal. And he says, if that's your goal, then you're done with sin. What does that mean? Does it mean you're perfect? No, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It means that is no longer a motivator. That is no longer a, a concern of yours. It's not about self-centeredness anymore. It's not about doing your own thing. It's not about temptation and, and distraction and, and rebellion. It's about Jesus. It's about honoring him. It's Peter's way of saying, if that is your focus, if that is your mindset that I'm going after him no matter what comes my way, whether I suffer or not, then you're done with sin. It's no longer got a hold on you. doesn't mean you're not going to be stumbled. doesn't mean you're perfect. But it means your mindset is no longer about yourself. You know, I don't know. Are people, what are people going to think about me if I do this, if I say this? Am I going to suffer if I go this way? Am I going to have to give things up? Am I going to lose things? No, I'm, I'm not concerned about that anymore. I am concerned about you, Father. I just want to honor you. I want to live for you. I want to be faithful to you. I want to live for you so that they might know that you're God. Do you get it? 
If that's your mindset, then you're done with sin. It's no longer got a hold on you. You're not drawn to that anymore. Your concern is, as he says, the will of God. That's your concern. Yeah, our church's mission, it makes me think of that. We say our mission is to join God in his mission of transforming lives, transforming our community, and transforming our world by the gospel of Christ to the glory of God. That's our mindset. That's our mission. It's to join him in what he's doing in his mission. To see people come to faith in him through the gospel. To be reconciled to him. So what would it look like? You know, what would it look like for you if that was your primary motivator? If you weren't making decisions based on comfort, based on the opinion of others or the approval of others, how others are going to feel about what you say or what you do. If your primary concern is just, God, I just want to honor you. I want to live for you. I want to see them come to know you. That is what Peter is getting at here. Once more, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with that same attitude because he was suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Lord, may this be our single-minded focus that we would just want to honor you, to know you. And if we suffer, we suffer. And if people reject us, they reject us. If people hate us, they hate us. If they mistreat us, they mistreat us. That's not my primary concern. My primary concern is to honor you, God. And as we continue reading, there's five specific things that he says. This is, this is what it's going to look like. If you're living your life for the will of God, if you're living your life just to honor him, there's five things specifically that he highlights here. The first is this, obedience. The first is obedience. In verses two through six, he says, as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Pagans is another word for the godless, those who are not concerned with following God. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Just quickly, that last line there, some people have misread that and thought it means that, that God, Jesus preaches to those who are dead, as in like those who are dead have a second chance after they're dead. That's not what it means. He said he preached the gospel to those who are now dead. You know, when they were alive, they heard the gospel so that they might have an opportunity to respond to him and live for him. But he says obedience, that's the first mark. It's going to be someone who is single-minded in their faithfulness to God is going to live a life of obedience to him. They're not going to be living for the things of this world anymore. Even if people look at them and think they're strange, think they're weird because they don't live and think the way the world does. Later on in that passage, he says this, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. 
says, if your single-minded focus is Christ, yeah, there's going to be some people who hate you, some people who insult you, some people who think you're strange and weird. But he says, you're blessed. You're blessed if that's true. Because your concern is Jesus to honor him. And not everyone's going to think you're great for that. I mean, it makes me think of middle school days. Anyone remember back in the middle school days? Some of you are in middle school now. How concerned I was about what other people thought of me in every single scenario, thinking that everyone, you know, that I was somehow the center of the universe and I'm so concerned about fitting in. And it still sticks with me, those times when people rejected me and insulted me and said mean things, you know, those things are still in my mind somewhere for some reason. But the truth is the whole world in some ways is like middle school still, you know, that you might have graduated from middle school, but still. And so often we're so concerned about the opinion of others, the rejection of others, what others think, living our lives based on the approval or disapproval of others. And Peter said, don't worry about that. If you're single-minded focus is God to honor him, then he's the judge and his opinion is what's going to matter in the end. And yeah, there's going to be people who reject you along the way and hate you and think you're weird, but you're going to be okay. The one whose opinion matters more than anyone else says you're blessed. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, one of my favorite verses. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's the call to obedience. Just a single-minded focus. I'm going to live for the Lord because I know that everything I do for him matters eternally. It's not in vain. I'm not going to worry about what other people think, what other people say. I know people are going to reject me. I know they're going to hate me. Some will. But if he calls me blessed, you know, If he says, I'm chosen, I'm not forsaken, I'm a child of God, all of that that we just sang about, then that's who I am. I'm not going to live my life according to the crowd, obey them. Second thing he says in this passage is not just obedience, but prayer. He goes on in verse 7 to say, The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. The end of all things is near just means that you live knowing that Jesus could return at any moment. Nothing's changed from when Peter wrote to where we are today. The end of all things is near means that we are in those last days, the days after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus could return at any point. And so we live with that in mind, with eternity in mind, with an eternal mindset. Second Peter in his next letter, chapter 3, verse 9 Peter responding to people who are saying, where's this coming of Jesus that you promised? He says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Isn't that great? He says, why hasn't Jesus returned? Why hasn't God put an end to everything? It's not because somehow he's delayed. It's because he's being patient and he's giving an opportunity for you to repent, to turn to him. So if this is reality, he, again, he says, be self-controlled. He says, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Think about it, he says. Be clear-minded. Think about this. If it's true that there is an eternity, if it's true that there is a heaven and a hell, if it's true 
that your eternal destiny and the eternal destiny of every person depends on their response to Jesus. If that is true, then how then should we live? What should our priorities be? He says, you should be in prayer. (laughs) You should be in prayer. Because on our own power, we can't save anyone. Even if we go out there and tell everyone the good news, we can't save anyone apart from the intervention of the Holy Spirit. So this is, if you're going to be clear-minded and self-controlled, you should be a man or a woman of prayer. God, save them. Help them to know you. Bring them to faith in you. Lift the veil that they might see you for who you are. Be self-controlled. Be clear-minded and pray. Later on in 1 Peter 4, he said this, For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? He's saying, wake up and be self-controlled and and clear-minded. If this is the reality that there is an eternity, and your eternal destiny depends upon how you react to Jesus' offer of salvation, then you should be a person of prayer. One of many verses that highlight this is John three thirty six. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. If that is true, then be clear-minded. How then should you react to that? Certainly first and foremost, he's saying you should be a person of prayer, praying that God would save that God would reveal himself to people, that God would bring people to faith in him. Pray as if the lives of everyone around you depends on it. So the hallmarks of Christ's mindset, according to 1 Peter 4, first of all is obedience. The one who's single-minded and focused just is ready to obey whatever it is he calls him to. Secondly, it's prayer, to be a man or a woman of prayer. And third, he says, is love. In verse 8, he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. What does that mean, that love covers over a multitude of sins? I think it means that the kind of love that shows grace and forgives others, it covers over, covers over people's sins. It doesn't you know, react and, and respond and bring up their sins, bring up their faults, bring it all up to use it against them in judgment and condemnation and anything like that, right? A love that covers over sins sees the sins and flaws and faults of others but loves them anyways, shows them grace, forgives them. That's the kind of love that is the kind of love that Jesus showed to you, right? That's the kind of love that Jesus showed to you, that despite your sins, his love covered over your sins. He doesn't see them. He's forgiven you. He shows you grace. And in the same way, he says, this is the love you're called to with one another, to go and love in a way that covers over sins, that doesn't just keep a record of every wrongdoing and bring it up and use it against people, but a love that covers over sins. Jesus said this in John chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's always been one of the hopes that I have as a pastor of a church, you know, I mean, I know there's so many like marketing strategies and things you can do out there to kind of promote a church, but don't you just wish that our church was just known by its love, right? That this would be all that was necessary is just 
Look at how they love each other. Look at how they love people. I want to be a part of that community because of the way they love, the way they forgive, the way they show grace, the way they care for needs. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. The fourth thing he says is this, obedience, prayer, love, and then in verse 9, it's hospitality. He says, offer offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Love that. (laughs) Offer offer hospitality to one another. Welcome people in your homes. Welcome people in your lives without grumbling. It's easier said than done for some of us, I know. Welcome others into your home and into your lives. Open your home to them. Open your lives to them without fighting it and grumbling. Inviting people. What does it mean to be hospitable? Hospitable. It means to invite people into a relationship with you. Yeah, I mean, to have someone over your home is to invite them into a relationship with you, to invite them to dinner with you, to a meal, to share a meal, is to invite them to relationship with you. That's what it means to be hospitable, to open your home, to open your lives to people. It's not drive-by evangelism, right? You know, there's a way of, of trying to share the gospel that's just kind of a drive-by, like, you know, it, it, you don't need a relationship. You're just telling them stuff. But this is about relationship. This is about welcoming your home. This is about fellowship and community and relationship with one another. One of the great verses that highlights this is 1 Thessalonians 2.8, where Paul writes, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it's one thing to love someone enough to tell them the gospel, you know, that, that eternal life is available through faith in Jesus. That's, that takes love. But here he says, I loved you so much that it wasn't just about sharing information with you. It's about sharing my life with you. It's about getting to know you. It's about welcoming you into my family, welcoming you into my home, welcoming you into my life. And the fifth hallmark in 1 Peter 4 says, this is what your mindset should look like. Obedience, prayer, love, hospitality. And then he ends by saying service. Verses 10 and 11. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So he says, okay, if your mindset is the same as Christ, it's going to mean using whatever gifts God has given you to serve others. If you're speaking words, speak the words of God. If you're serving, serve with the power God gives. Use the gifts that God has given you to serve others, to build up others. This is consistent throughout the New Testament, this kind of idea that God gives people gifts and the reason he gives them gifts is not so they can say, hey, look at me, I'm gifted, but so that they can serve others with those gifts. Romans 12, four through eight, just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Notice what it said there? Each member belongs to each other. The gifts of the body are to be used to serve each other. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them and all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by, the, uh, by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Again, notice verse 7. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to each individual, and they are given for the common good. Use whatever gift God has given you to serve others, to build up others. It's not just so that you can say, look at me, I'm gifted. That God gives his gifts through his Holy Spirit to everyone to be used to serve others. One of the acronyms that I've always found helpful with this is this acronym SHAPE. Comes out of Saddleback Church, the master of the acronyms. Spiritual gifts. So you might think, okay, how has God shaped me? Spiritual gifts. What gifts has he given me spiritually? There's some that are not natural talents that are given by God through his Holy Spirit that build up others, that encourage you as well, where you know that God is using you to bless others. What's your heart? What are you passionate about? You know, if money were no obstacle, what would you do with your time? What would you do with your life? What is your heart? A, abilities. What are you good at? What are the abilities that you have that could bless others? P, personality. What do you like as a person? Are you good working with specific type of people or working on your own? Or what sort of personality do you have? And how does that play into the way you might serve others? And E, experience. What is your experience in life? What have you gone through in your life and how has that shaped you in a way that is unique that would then allow you to minister to others in a way that someone else might not be able to? I encourage you, just take this acronym, consider it as we look at what it looks like to serve others. Some of you know right off the top of your head and you're just like, you know what? I love to give. You know, I just love to give to those who are in need. And when I hear that there's a need, I just want to bless them. Some of you, it's like, I love to write, you know? And if there's an opportunity for me to just put pen to paper or type out my thoughts in a way that'll encourage others, I want to do that. Some of you love to encourage others. And you just want to write letters of encouragement or notes of encouragement to people who are discouraged and suffering. And some of you, maybe it's teaching. Maybe you love to build community. And you love to, to lead groups where people get together to care for each other. Some of you, maybe it's just, you love to be behind the scenes, just serving in a way where no one knows but God. You just want to come in and clean or, or decorate or do something that is going to make God's heart, house beautiful. And you don't want anyone to know. You don't want to be around people, but you just want to do that. And that's how you want to serve. 
Some of you, it's you've been through something in your life and you have a heart for people who now are going through those similar circumstances in their life. And that's where God has gifted you. And when you hear of someone going through the same kind of marriage difficulty or losing a job or whatever it might be, your heart goes out to them and you know that God has prepared you to serve in that way. Some of you, it's hospitality. And maybe you love being hospitable to people who come to church or hospitable to people welcoming them to your home. Whatever it might be, you just love to make sure people know that they are loved and they are welcomed. There's so many other examples I might give, right? There's many ways that God has blessed each of you. And the message here is that God has gifted you, not just so you could say, I'm gifted, not so you could just bury it, but so that you might use it to serve others. That's last week's sermon. So again, I just want to encourage you, this passage, 1 Peter 4, Peter encourages us to take on the same mindset that Jesus had. A single-minded focus on faithfulness to God that says, I don't care if I suffer or not. I don't care if people reject me or not. That's not my primary concern. I want to honor the Father and be faithful to him because I want others to come to faith in him. I want them to be restored. In the same way, he says, let that be your attitude. Your mindset, one of obedience to the Father, wherever he calls you. Prayer, knowing that nothing's going to happen apart from crying out to him and depending on him. Love, the kind of love that shows grace, forgiveness, covers over a multitude of sins the way Jesus did with you. Hospitality, welcoming people, not just giving them information, but welcoming them into your lives, into your homes. And then service, looking out for ways that you can use the gifts that God has given you to serve and bless and build up others. Let's respond in prayer as the worship team comes forward. Let me just lead you in, in a responsive prayer. Let's go back first of all to that Hebrews passage where it says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And I want to encourage you just to take a minute to meditate on that, that you were the joy that was set before him. That the reason Jesus left the Father's side and went through everything he went through here on earth and endured death on the cross, the forsakenness of the Father, was because he loves you and he wants you to have eternal life. He wants you to be restored to a right relationship with the Father. He wants you to have hope, peace, love, joy. Just take a minute and meditate on his love for you. Let his love compel you, transform you that you might no longer live for yourself. You might no longer be self-centered, but you might live for the one who gave his life for you. And just take a minute in silence. I encourage you this morning to commit yourself in faithfulness to God. Ask him for that single-minded obedience, that single-minded devotion, that no matter what might come your way, whatever suffering he might call you to go through, 
whatever rejection you might face, that you would be single-minded in your focus to be obedient, to be faithful to the Father so that he might be glorified, so that others might know that he is God. Just take a minute in silence and commit yourself to the Lord.